This is Wordfall, with historical novelist Rosanna M. White, offering our words to the Lord at the crossroads of faith, family, and fiction. First, say goodbye. In 1 King 19, we get the story of when Elisha is called to follow Elijah. So Elijah left that place and found the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yokes of oxen preceding him. He was driving the twelfth pair himself, and he tossed his mantle on him. Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. But he said, Go back, what have I done to you? He went back and took a yoke of oxen and killed them. He used the oxen's equipment to boil their meat, and he gave it to the people to eat. He then got up and followed Elijah, ministering to him. Then in Luke, we get a rather similar-sounding story with a couple of variations, but in which the would-be followers are unnamed, and the teacher is Jesus. To another he said, Follow me. The man replied, Lord, allow me to go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. You are to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but allow me first to say farewell to my family at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered at the difference in these two passages? In the Gospels, we're given the impression that to go and say goodbye or bury my father is grounds for being rejected. Yet in the Old Testament, Elijah says, Hey, I'm not forcing you to do anything here. If you want to say goodbye, go for it. Given how brief the passages are, my musing is going to be pure conjecture, but hey, that's what we're here for, right? To muse and consider. One thing I want to put out here right away is something I read recently in a biography of Mary Magdalene, actually. The biblical writers were very conscious of what they were saying about people either alive or revered. In the Old Testament, we regularly see sins of the patriarchs, but they're not expounded on. It wasn't because everyone didn't know that these things were sins, but rather because they were giving respect to their ancestors. The same sort of thing often happened in the New Testament. If the person about whom they were writing was still alive, or their privacy or safety was at stake, the writers chose to leave them nameless. They would do so if a story could reflect negatively on someone they didn't want to disrespect— I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating and insightful. Like, oh, they were left nameless on purpose and for a reason. That explains a lot. So why might these nameless people in the Gospels have been dismissed? We can assume it was for a negative reason, that they made the wrong choice, that their intentions weren't good, that the truth would have reflected negatively on them. Elisha, however, is a different case altogether. Yes, he asked to go and say goodbye, but what do we actually see him doing? He's not embracing his parents and weeping for the life left behind. He's certainly not following Elijah half-heartedly. He returns to offer a sacrifice. More, he particularly chooses to sacrifice the work he had been doing. He uses the very oxen he'd been plowing with and their yokes for the fire. This is not just a farewell to his parents. This is a very symbolic action in which he's giving all he was, all that represented his family and stable, even wealthy life to God. He put it quite literally on the altar. We don't actually see him saying the promised goodbye to his parents, but it's quite likely they came out to see what in the world he was doing and he bade them farewell. The important thing here is that he didn't just drop everything. He left it for good. 
When he decided to follow the path of the prophet, he followed with his whole heart. If we look at the disciples, we see similar stories. When Jesus called them, they came running. Now, we know they didn't just abandon their families. I mean, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. They were still in the same neighborhood. They still stayed at their houses, at least from time to time. This wasn't a hateful, disrespectful thing they did. But in the moment, they came with their whole hearts. The questions of how will we survive and what will people think weren't relevant to this decision. Jesus called, or in Alicia's case, God the Father called, and they answered. They answered with a resounding, I'm coming, Lord, here I am. Those two nameless would-be followers, though, one approached Jesus, but it seems he saw something reserved in the man, and he issued a warning. We don't even see whether this deterred the fellow or not, but we assume it did. Then he calls to another, who presumably wasn't asking for a few minutes like Elisha was, so he could go and sacrifice everything. Jesus, who knew his heart, must have known that. That he wasn't just asking to say goodbye. Maybe he was looking for an excuse to delay. He wanted to see the people who would talk him out of it so he could come back and say, Sorry, Lord, my dad really needs me, and we're supposed to honor our parents, so... And we are, of course we are. But here's the thing. We are not honoring our parents if we are disobeying God. He is our ultimate father. So when he calls, there's only one right answer, to follow. To follow without looking back with longing on the life you're leaving behind. To follow without looking for excuses to change your mind. To follow with your whole heart and to minister. Did you catch that in Alicia's story? He followed Elijah and ministered to him. God asks easy things of us, and he asks hard things too. He asks us to give of ourselves and put him first. He asks us to draw ever closer to him, knowing that the more we give up of our own lives, the more we'll be given the life he wants for us. He promises abundance, but it just doesn't always look like we expect it to. Elisha went on to receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and the disciples went on to perform miracles even greater than the ones Christ performed. They lived rich, full, crazy lives. I like to think that those unnamed would-be followers, in fact, did become followers. Maybe that's why the stories don't name them. Because they saw the fault in their initial reactions and shared the stories with others of the time they messed up. But praise God, he doesn't just call our name once. Much like he did with Samuel, he calls it until we learn how to answer him. What sort of goodbye do you say when he calls you? Check out rosannamwhite.com for information about me or my books and to subscribe to my newsletter. This episode of Wordfall is brought to you by the Tea Party Book Club. Books, tea, great conversation, all from the convenience of your own home. To see what this month's book is and to reserve a seat, go to rosannamwhite.com and click the Tea Party Book Club tab or follow the link in the show notes. Wordfall is a proud part of the White Fire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast for other shows I know you'll love.